Hi, welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David. I'm the pastor of Foundation Church. And as we've been seeing over the last few weeks in our teaching, when you get the Christian message, the truth, straight, uh, and you allow it to shape you, um, you will live a life um, that, 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 that stands out. And today we're going to be examining that life in, in more clarity. Um, that's what Paul does in the letter. Um, and today we're going to be thinking about the radical ordinary. When you get the truth straight, you allow the truth to shape you, you will live the radical ordinary. It's, it's a life uh, of great power, a life of, of uh, influence. Um, but as the name suggests, it's not necessarily on the surface anyway, flashy. It's ordinary. Um, but when you allow the truth to shape you, it will be a radical ordinary. It's, an, it's, a, it's a form of living that has teeth, it has bite, it achieves things. Let me uh, read to you the text that today's teaching is based on. It's Titus 2 uh, verses 1 through 10. It's really helpful if you either click on the link to have it open in another window as, as we read through, or even if you have a copy of the Bible and you want to read with me, it's good to have open. Let me read it to you. Titus 2, uh, starting at verse 1. This is God's word. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the younger women... Uh, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that in everything they may, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. This is God's word. We've been examining together in this series so far Paul's uh, teaching to the church that the churches that Titus was overseeing on the island of Crete. He'd been addressing the urgent need to get good elders who, who get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape them and who can lead the church by example and through their teaching. Then he, he addresses the, 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 the fake teaching that was doing the rounds at the time, that was influencing the early churches and causing uh, many to wander away, to sort of uh, fragment off um, away from the truth and from the, the reality of the church. And so now uh, Paul's attention in this letter naturally flows to the church as a whole, the church as a body. And he's focusing on its character, on, on the relationships within uh, the church. And, and as you've maybe picked up, Paul addresses uh, what was considered in his day to be the typical uh, household pattern or the household code um, that we see in ancient sort of Greco-Roman culture. But um, as we've, we've already hinted at over this teaching series, there's a great overlap, a great degree of overlap between the early churches and the, the little communities that they formed around the good news of Jesus and the household. Um, in fact, for many um, in the early church, the households 
were the churches. Churches met in households. Um, households are, are often a broader and wider definition to how we understand it today. It's almost like a little uh, empire, if you like, a little world within the world um, with, with clear structure. And, and, and uh, they would be the wonderful place, you know, particularly the more affluent um, you know, households would be a place for meeting, uh, for gathering, for community formation, for worship around the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And so what we're reading here is not restricted to a biological family. Um, in fact, the, the, the whole idea that the, the metaphor of family uh, became a very important way that Paul used to describe the church as a whole, the family of God. And so that's what we're coming to here. And so Paul in this section sketches a vision for the radical ordinary. And we'll see why it's radical and why it's ordinary as we go through. But it's radical and it's ordinary. And um, so let's pay attention. Let's, let's, let's understand, first of all, what is the radical ordinary in this section? Then we're going to ask ourselves in, in the second video, what does the radical ordinary achieve? And thirdly, we're going to ask, how do we be radically ordinary? How do we, how do we be this ourselves? First of all then, what is the radical ordinary that Paul is talking about? Well, he addresses Titus, the, the, uh, the addressee of the letter, um, and he says to them in verse 1, first of all, as for you, Titus, he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, teach what, what comes from the message. In, in other words, he says, now get the truth straight as you have, you've understood it, let the truth shape you, and now show everyone how that plays out how to be radically ordinary um, and of course you know he, as we've already seen he addresses then the, the main sort of roles or major um, uh, positions if you like within the ancient Greco-Roman uh, household uh, units in the early church so to be radically ordinary first of all he addresses older men older men and uh, one commentator says that just for the sake of argument, older men are those uh, men who are between sort of in their 40s to their 60s. They are uh, family men, most often older men, uh, so have older children or even adult children, maybe even grandfathers in the mix. But this is the kind of generation that he's talking about. And he says to them, to older men, uh, through Titus, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, uh, self-controlled. Don't forget, as we've been seeing already, and we see it here, the background in Crete, um, the society is anything but sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. Um, we've already been seeing, we see that again here, alcohol excess was a real problem within Cretan society. Drunkenness and all the problems that flow from that, relational breakdown, all sorts of uh, immorality and escapades. But he says, older men, you're to be radically ordinary. Uh, you're to be respectful. Uh, you're to be dignified. You're, you're to be in control of yourself, the master of yourself. Don't give yourself over to slavery, to, to alcohol and, and, and drunkenness. Instead, he says, you're to be sound. That, in other words, uh, healthy, solid in your faith in Jesus, in your love for Jesus and for one another. And your steadfastness. You're to be solid examples, pillars of the truth and, and, and pillars of love in your church. That's how older men are to be. Oh, for men like this in our church, in our day, men of, of integrity, of dignity, of, of love and faith just exuding from them, uh, evidence of uh, years of walking with Jesus, of love for him and experience in, in, in living, uh, following him. Just, Lord, send more men like this to our church, right? Older women then, he goes on to address the second uh, 
group within the household unit. Older women, likewise, in the same way, uh, are to be, he says, reverent, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. There it is again, alcohol seems to feature large. It's a problem, not just among the men, but among the women as well, and the older women, and slandering and drinking wine, you know, how, how often those two things come together. But he says to them, again, just be self-controlled, but to older women, you are to live as an example to the next generation of women, to the younger women. And he says there at the end of verse three, you are to teach what is good. Teach what is good. You have to be a positive influence to women, younger women who come behind you uh, in terms of age. And then he turns to uh, the next unit then, uh, older men, older women, younger women. And he says to them, uh, you know, through older women effectively, um, he, sa he says, younger women within the church in Crete need help to let the truth shape them. They need to, to help to see how this plays out in real life. It's one thing, as we, we, we see all the time, um, and I understand this in my own life as well, it's one thing understanding the truth uh, with our minds. It's another thing asking ourselves, how do we walk that out practically every day? Let it shape us. That's often, uh, often more difficult. How, how do we allow the truth to shape us? Younger women need help uh, from the older women to model this. And of course, in, in, as, as we're seeing in Crete, there are these prevailing forces, these strong, powerful forces um, at work, at play, pressing on, influencing, um, especially here in this situation, the younger women. And, and, and everyone is reminded that they need restraint. They need to exercise self-control to be radically ordinary. And we see this here too when he addresses younger women. And it seems to be that society was telling the women of, of, of the church within Crete Society was telling them, your family is a hindrance. Uh, your marriage is a drag on you. These things are holding you back from being the woman you want to be, being where you want to be, with who you want to be. Um, marriage and, and, and family and your home are restricting your opportunities. Uh, the society was, was, was pressing in and saying to younger women, you can have whatever you want. You just need to um, get rid of the chains of, of, of these oppressive structures and then you can be free. But Paul has a different vision for the church. He has this vision of radical ordinary. Instead, he says, young women are to be shown how to love their husbands and their children. So we're assuming that the women that he's addressing here or thinking of primarily are already married and already have and or have have a family. He's saying to them, they have to be shown how it looks to love your husbands and your children. You're to have self-control. There it is again. Uh, you're to be pure and you're to be working at home. Working at home. Um, before we get any further, let's, let's just examine this phrase here, working at home. Uh, what does it mean to be working at home? Well, the, the, the Greek uh, behind that phrase means to be occupied by your domestic affairs. In other words, it means uh, not to be neglectful of your domestic affairs, of your responsibilities at home. You're to be responsible. One, one Bible translator says the young women are to be shown how to be home lovers. I love that. And I think that gets the, the tone right. Um, young women are not to be, uh, in this context, they're not to be disinterested or disconnected from their home. It's not, by the way, that men have no role in the home, um, but the particular concern that Paul is addressing here is, is the young women and how they are in the church in Crete and the pressures that they are under.
They're to see um, that the home is to be the key place where, where life and, and love are, are played out most, most clearly. It's a place where relationships are to be solid and formative and nurturing. Um, and they need to see that being modelled well by the older women. That's what Paul is saying to the church. Teach them um, how to love their husbands and children, to be pure, working at home, to be kind and submissive to their husbands. And again, that's so often something that will, will stick in our throats um, as modern people listening to this. But what, what Paul is saying and the, the intention there is that, that, that these young wives are to, to give themselves willingly, actively and sort of voluntarily to come under uh, their husband's uh, leadership at home. That's what Paul is saying. Older men, older women, younger women. And then he turns in verse 6 to younger men and he doesn't have much to say to them except urge them to be self-controlled. Again, just keep yourself in check. Keep yourself in check. And then he says to Titus in verse 7, he addresses Titus along with the younger men. And most commentators think that this is because Titus himself was classed as a younger man in terms of age, even though he was obviously a, a, a young guy with, with uh, leadership and anointing upon him. Here he is uh, mentioned along with the other young men. And so we can take young men and Titus together. And Titus uh, is, is, is encouraged here to, to have a life of integrity, of dignity and soundness of speech. So young men, be self-controlled, integrity, dignity and soundness of speech. That means healthy in your speech, um, full of, of, of wisdom in your speech. And then finally, uh, Paul moves on to uh, another unit that we don't really have a modern equivalent of today in our own household units. Um, he, he speaks of, in verse 9, slaves or servants. Uh, the Greek word there is bond servant. Um, and he addresses them uh, uh, within the household unit. Now, interestingly, Paul calls himself a slave of God um, at the beginning of this letter. Um, so he obviously has a, a, a different understanding of what it is to be a slave um, than perhaps our own modern understanding um, when we think of the terrible um, you know, slave trade um, of the colonial past and, and the transatlantic slave trade. This is not what Paul means here. He, he's not referring to oppressed peoples here. Um, in, the, in the ancient Greco-Roman household um, code, a slave would be, or a servant here, would be someone who sells themselves voluntarily um, into the, um, the employment of uh, a more wealthy household in order to pay off their debts. So in, in, instead of uh, going into a life of grinding poverty and to avoid poverty, they would, for a time period, for an established time period, give themselves into the employment um, of, a, of a homeowner, come under their authority, and they would perform you know, the menial tasks and jobs within that household uh, in order to earn some money um, to, to be a place of protection and to allow um, their families to, to be nurtured within this household unit as well. And so he says to the slaves, uh, to the workers, to the servants, he says, be um, good workers, serve well while you're there um, in, your, in your calling, serve well. Don't be lippy, uh, don't be light-fingered, don't be helping yourself um, to stuff you see lying around. Instead, be fully trustworthy um, in everything that you do whilst you are occupying that office within the household. So 
What is the radical ordinary? There it is. Next, we're going to be asking then, well, what does the radical ordinary achieve? What, is, what does it actually get done? What's the point? Um, maybe, maybe as you sit and listen to Paul's household code teaching and what it means to be radical ordinary, you're starting to think to yourself, well, this just sounds really old fashioned. It sounds regressive. It sounds dull. It sounds a bit boring. And let's, let's face it, it's certainly not flashy what he is saying, but this is what radical ordinary looks like. And as we've been seeing, Paul addresses the most urgent needs among the church in Crete. Um, maybe to you, this all sounds very conservative indeed, with older men and older women teaching the younger men and younger women how to, you know, how, how to be married and how to live good lives and all this. And you might think to yourself, well, that just sounds very conservative. Um, it sounds just like old-fashioned religious stuff. And let's face it, parts of the Bible um, w are, are very conservative in terms of their ethics. Um, and we see that here and we see that on the subject of family and sexuality and gender can be understood to be um, conservative in, in our modern understanding of that term. But one thing I have to really emphasize here and we have to understand is that to be a Christian does not equal or mean being a conservative either in terms of your, um, your, your ethics or your politics. Um, of course, parts of the Bible are um, identifiable as conservative in one aspect. But there are lots of other teachings in Scripture um, that, that could be understood as being very liberal, um, if you want to use that, that term. In fact, for example, the Bible calls us to a very, uh, uh, very clear and high vision of racial reconciliation, uh, the pursuit of justice, care of the poor, the immigrant, the orphan. And, and I guess the point I'm making here just before we move on is that uh, what Scripture teaches and what the Christian faith um, is, it cannot be just identified as conservative or, or liberal, but it transcends both of, of those categories and, and, and many more as well. Um, the Bible has its own voice, it has its own identity, and it cannot be aligned by one political or eth uh, ethical you know, conundrum or, or set of values, for example. Um, that's important to understand. So what is the purpose then of the radical ordinary? What is, what is the goal? That's what we're thinking about in this, in this teaching. Um, we've already seen here um, that, that, that Titus is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Um, what accords with godliness, what you believe and how you live are intrinsically linked together. Uh, how you live shows what you believe and what you believe shapes how you live. It, it, they're both intrinsically related. Um, let the truth, uh, get the truth straight, let the truth shape you. So what does it what does the radical ordinary achieve? Well, uh, he says in verse 5, when he's addressing the young women, he says to them, live such counter-cultural uh, lives, live the radical ordinary so clearly, he says, um, that uh, in verse 5, the word of God, that's the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, the word of God may not be reviled. That is, live in such a way that the word of God is not brought into disrepute, it is not mocked. Um, the, the people look at you and, and, and they sort of know that you say you're a Christian, you go to church on Sundays, but the way you live 
just makes them look from the outside and say, that's rubbish. Your faith is rubbish. You know, obviously there's something wrong with Christians and churches and all that. Live such radical, ordinary lives that outsiders will look at you and the word of God, the message of Jesus will not be mocked, will not be scorned or put to shame. Uh, we, get, we get this again elsewhere when, when, when Paul is addressing the younger men in verses 7 and 8. And again, he's saying to, to them, along with Titus, live such countercultural lives, live the radical ordinary so that your speech may not be condemned. Your speech may not be condemned. You know, you're, you're, you're talking about the message of Jesus. Live such radical lives that they affirm and they um, give glory to, you know, point to, put the spotlight on. Uh, Jesus and the message of Jesus. I love the way he puts it positively in verse 10. He's addressing here the servants. He says, the way that you live or you act, live in such a way that you adorn the doctrine, the teaching of God our Saviour. I love that. Let's just think about that for a moment. He speaks to the servants. They are the, you know, in in that culture uh, and, and many today, of course, around the world, um, the servants, the slaves are the lowest on the rung of humanity. They're considered the lowest you know, in the order of society. And he's saying to them, live in such a way that you adorn, you beautify, uh, you make gorgeous the gospel of God. Interestingly, that, that idea um, of uh, adorning, uh, adorning something, comes from the ancient Near East, the culture and context that Paul is talking to. Uh, and yet it would be the elites of society, the, the, those of, of great wealth or from powerful families, they were considered to be the ones that adorn the city that they live in. Ah, that's where, you know, this person lives. What a great name that city has. That, that's where that powerful family are from. What a great name that city has. They adorn the city through their support, through their presence, through their their business, through their patronage, they adorn the city. But here Paul flips everything up on its head and he says to the, the, the lowest of society, the servants and the slaves, you have the greatest honor at adorning the gospel, the good news of God our Savior by the way that you go about your duties. And with all of this together then, whether it's addressed to the young men, the young women, the, the slaves, everybody. Um, what does the radical ordinary achieve? Well, it makes the good news of Jesus attractive. Uh, in other words, living the radical ordinary life draws attention to the beauty that already exists in the gospel of Jesus. And I wonder if you personally realize that. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, especially if you're part of the community at Foundation Church, do you realize that your life and your ordinary relationships and the quality of those ordinary relationships beautifies the message of God's salvation in Jesus? The radical ordinary. Why is this though? Why, why is it that Paul can be confident that the way that we live our lives, if we live this, this, this truth-shaping radical ordinary, how is he confident that we can so beautify the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Well, Christians, um, especially contemporary Western Christians in our context, um, their organic, their ordinary relationships are seen 
by those outside as increasingly radical, increasingly uh, less mainstream. Uh, in days gone by, of course, in previous uh, generation or two, Christian values and society's values broadly overlapped. You know, there are many, many years and generations where um, our part of the world was considered to be a Christian country. So um, influenced and uh, shaped by Christian values across the millennia, it's um, a Christian country where we live. Um, but that is less and less the case as time is going on. Uh, in fact, there is, there's, there's more of a divergence between what we're seeing here, the radical Christian ordinary life, and what society uh, teaches and holds true. Um, let, me, let me explain that a little further. Today, our society tells us that your personal freedom is what matters most. Your needs and your desires are uppermost. Uh, the needs and desires of the individual are the most important thing in society. Of course, that's different in if you're listening in or if you're from uh, or experienced in a non-Western society. It's not the individual that's uppermost um, in, in terms of importance. Uh, it's the family or the clan or, or even for some the nation that is uppermost. And the individual is sort of inferior, considered inferior. The individual is simply there to serve the, the, the name of the family or the nation or what have you. But for us, it's the other way around. In Western society, the individual is king. And, and nation, family, career, sex, money, security, all of those things are there to serve the individual. Uh, our society encourages us to, to indulge our freedoms because that ultimately is what life is all about. Um, we're encouraged to satisfy our desires in any way we want, however we want. Everything else exists for that end, for you to achieve that end. And so it's up to you to get going and to stop at nothing to satisfy your desires because your desires are uppermost. You're, the individual is king and use everything and anything else to achieve those purposes. That's generally what Western society is teaching us. And it's the, it's the pond that we're swimming in. But the gospel, the Christian gospel says, there is a hole in your heart that only Jesus Christ can fill. Only he can satisfy you fully, completely. You, you yearn for love and for true joy and for peace and for acceptance. And sometimes you get a glimpse of that, you get a taste of it, but it's gone, it's fleeting, it's crushed. But the gospel says you've been looking in all the wrong areas, you've been looking in all the wrong ways. You have in fact pulled away from the source of joy and love and peace and acceptance, which is God himself who created you with these yearnings to, to yearn for him. You have cut yourself off from the source but in the gospel uh, Jesus comes to rescue us from our sin from our rebellion from our ignorance from our stupidity from our foolishness from all the dumb things that we've done in search of that which only he can give and he saved us through his life through his death through his resurrection and he's given us the hope of a future with him complete satisfaction in him See, when you see Jesus as your saviour, as your friend, as the faithful lover that you've always been looking for, the one who, who ravishes your heart, 
who, who overwhelms you with joy, when you see him as that, when you see him as the one who laid his life down for you, then you will want to live for him. Then you will have radical transformation, a, a radical turnaround in your life. You'll no longer live for yourself, the message of society. You'll no longer live for yourself. You'll no longer be squeezed into that mold that our world wants you to be squeezed into. Instead, you will live for Jesus when you see who he is and what he's done for you. When you let that truth shape you, you will live the radical ordinary. You, you will live against the tide, against the ocean that is chasing self-fulfillment. You will, you will live a, a radical ordinary life. A radical ordinary life against the flow, against the, the prevailing culture says and screams out and preaches only Jesus, only him, only what he's done, only in what he has done for me can I be truly satisfied. Can you see that this countercultural life, this radical ordinary that Paul calls the church to, preaches, screams Jesus and him alone? And our relationships will reflect that. We live our life along his plans and not my own. We, we live to serve him and not ourselves. The radical ordinary, as we're seeing here, the radical ordinary is a life which adorns, beautifies the gospel of Jesus. It shines the, the, the spotlight on the great um, crystal, the great diamond of Jesus and the message about Jesus. And you know what the best bit about church is? Church is a group of people who are living the radical ordinary together. Well, thirdly and finally, we're going to ask ourselves then, how do we be radically ordinary? Um, don't forget that the context of this teaching is to the church, is to the, the relationships within the church. Um, it's not primarily or only to be understood in the context of the family, although that is important. Um, but this is the broader uh, teaching to the churches that Paul is addressing. That's why he says things like younger men, older women. He's not using husband and wife language here. He's addressing all people, all, all types of people within the church. Um, it's, it's to do with the life of the community. Um, you know, he's addressing what he considers to be a bunch of or a group of people who he wants to live the radical ordinary, as we say at Foundation Church, in other words, it's the community on mission. This is what Paul is addressing here. So how do we be radically ordinary? Three ways um, that we can apply this teaching. Number one, test yourself against scripture. Are you an older man? Then read verse two and ask yourself, am I sober-minded? Am I dignified? Am I sound in faith and love? and steadfastness. Is that me? Are you a younger woman? Ask yourself, what does it look like for me uh, to love my husband and children, to be pure, to be concerned with my home life? What does that mean? How does that look? And so on. Read and test yourself against the scriptures that we're reading here. Ask yourself, in, in general, have I become these things? Is there, is there, have I adopted these things into my ordinary life? Ask yourself, is there an area of my life where this is not playing out? Where I am actively pushing against it or I've just neglected it? 
Is there an area of my life that I need to repent and turn away from and, and ask for help? Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to help me to live this out even more strongly. Um, do you, is it there, but you want it to become even more vibrant so that so the gospel is even more beautified? You see, to live the radical, ordinary life, we need power from the Holy Spirit. Um, it is radical, therefore it is difficult. It is deep, and uh, it's not something that we can do on our own steam. And yet, God says, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given. Um, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So, read the scriptures, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the word, reflect and pray. Test yourself against scripture, first of all. How are you doing? How to be radical. The second way then uh, that we can be radically ordinary is consider how the truth can shape you today. There's very much a bit of an, an overlap between the first two points. Um, whereas um, we have to remember in the second part here, consider how the truth can shape you today. The, the, what we're reading here in, in the text is not an exhaustive list of all the things that Paul may have said to, for example, younger men. Um, there was much more that he can and probably wanted to say, but that was the most pressing issue of the day facing the churches in Crete. And so there's much more that he could have said, but, but didn't. So allow me, if you will, in the style of Paul, to, to, to add a contemporary um, application or, or further what he's saying uh, regarding what I consider to be, in my experience anyway, the pressing needs of today's church. Consider how the truth can shape you today. So, if you're an older man and you're listening to this teaching, my, my word to you is reject apathy. Reject complacency. Reject comfort. That does not adorn the gospel. Don't lose your edge. Instead, guard your heart. Guard your passion for the gospel, for Jesus. Instead, use your years of, of Christian experience and maturity to lead by example, to show what it is to have a dignified life that brings glory to God. Younger men need to see that in you. Here's my word to older women, if you're an older woman listening in and you identify with with that age group that we're talking about. My, my message to you is don't be reduced to slander, gossip, divisive, stupid speech. Instead, as an older woman, show what it looks like to have decades of faithfulness to Jesus shaping you, flowing from you, influencing those around you, particularly in your marriage, and in your family. Show what it looks like to, to grow and become a powerful woman of prayer. You've had years to learn how to do it. Now show others. Then if you, then if you do this, you will be a, a, a powerful asset to the church to shape the next generation of godly women coming up behind you. If you're a younger woman, then my message to you is this. Stop your comparisons. Stop looking around at what others are doing and what others want you to be. Stop comparing. Instead, embrace God's word for you, his wisdom, his love for you. Stop comparison. I'd also say to younger women, aiming to be a wife and a mother 
is an excellent calling. It's an excellent desire. So go for it. Reject the lies from society that say that marriage and faithfulness to one man and, and, and family, that just gets in your way. Reject that rubbish. Don't think less of yourself, but learn to think of yourself less. Your freedom is in Christ. So build your life into him. My message to younger men, if you're a younger man listening in, is this. Younger men, learn to grow in resilience. Stop being fluffy and flaky. Instead, commit yourself, train yourself up to become spiritually stronger with each passing month. Develop the musculature of faith and of prayer. Learn what it is to suffer, to really suffer for Jesus. Younger men seek mentorship from godly men so that you might become one too. Consider how the truth might shape you today. Thirdly, how can we be a radical ordinary? Ensure close proximity. Be together. Don't forget, there was overlap. This probably, you know, in the original church, there was most of it was the ordinary household, the actual household. So close proximity, being together was not difficult. Um, you live in the same house. Uh, but but our, our, our churches, our, our community, uh, gospel community is, is, is less organic today. Um, we represent more than one family, of course, one biological family. We're all spaced out and all over the place geographically, but lockdown has obviously made that even more difficult. We haven't even had the central gathering on Sundays to be able to get together and enjoy one another's company. This is our, our, our fracturing, I suppose, has, made, has been made more pronounced and more difficult by the lockdown and the restrictions to our movement that we've had over this last season. Um, and yet Paul's teaching and his, his vision for the church assumes community. It assumes uh, this place of trust this, 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 this network of people together, openness to one another's lives, access to each other's lives. You see, too many of us today are just too busy to contemplate the kind of relationships, the kind of influencing relationships that Paul has for the churches here. We're too busy. And, but for Paul, uh, the quality of that community, for him in this letter anyway, comes only secondary to finding quality leaders to lead that quality community. So in other words, it's highly important in Paul's mind for close proximity, for these relationships to bear fruit as we live together, radical, ordinary. We're never going to become a community on mission. We're never going to live as radical, ordinary if we don't ensure close proximity. If we, otherwise, In other words, if we pull away from each other, then we are taking ourselves out of that primary place of growth and of mission. Ensure close proximity. How do we do this at Foundation Church? Well, even in this uh, lockdown restricted season of ministry, we've been thinking of trying to live out various ways that we can ensure close proximity to and with one another. We've been doing, we've uh, restarted again our monthly hangouts that happen on the first 
uh, Saturday of every month where we get together in an in a out, outdoor place, weather permitting, and we be together and we just enjoy each other's company safely of course but we we do that because we realize the importance of doing life together so we do monthly hangouts and and all the details of this are put up on facebook and other social media um so you can join us if if you want um we do online community gatherings every week um how else do we do this at foundation church we're just advocating and and encouraging simple one-to-one simple meet meet and greets hookups uh, going out for walks and coffees and just sharing again an opportunity to share life together ensure close proximity um, these 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 measures and 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 others that we're doing it might feel to you artificial they're not what we're used to they're not full of freedom uh, like we've grown used to in the past but they are the best we have in this season and they still work they still generate um, energy and opportunity uh, for us to live out as radical ordinaries together. But we're always thinking in all of these things, how can older men encourage younger men? How can older women encourage younger women? That's what we want at Foundation Church. We wanna see this Titus 2 being lived out, fleshed out, so we might receive the, the fruit and enjoy the fruit of that. The good news is that we are actually preparing to return to gathered worship on a Sunday. Um, in fact, Sunday, next Sunday, if you're listening to this, um, the end of September, next Sunday, the 4th of October, um, we're going to start our, our Sunday morning gatherings. Um, it's going to be a, a different location to usual. Uh, it's going to be a different format to usual. Uh, and yet what we want to do um, is to allow uh, time together where we can get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape us. That's what we do every Sunday as we gather. We want to develop the radical ordinary in each other as we gather, as we encourage each other. Um, and what would that look like? Well, um, it'll look like times of prayer. It'll look like some reading from the Bible. It'll look like some teaching from the Bible and then uh, some opportunity to respond uh, somehow. It'll be an hour and um, it'll all be uh, planned out and uh, social distancing and, and healthy hygienic measures will all be in place so you can feel safe and comfortable as you gather with us for worship so that's next sunday do look out on facebook and, and other social media so that uh, you can have the latest information about the where and when and how of all that let me finish this teaching by concluding this how you live in response to the gospel can adorn the gospel can show how beautiful it is by the way you live your life and the gospel the good news of jesus is the irresistible jewel it is the the pearl of great price as the bible puts it it's what the world needs so please as you hear this don't underestimate what you can bring as you live out the calling that Paul places upon us of the radical ordinary. Yes, it's ordinary, but also it is radical. It is a life that is filled with a potency that points to Jesus, the radical ordinary.